Okay, now next on the tee with me is former All-Star outfielder Fred Lynn. Let me give you some background on Fred. He's from Chicago, Illinois, but when he was one year old, his family moved out to Southern California. He was a four-sports star player in high school, playing baseball, football, basketball, and track. He was drafted by the New York Yankees, but chose to attend USC instead. Thank God. He helped USC win the College Baseball World Series in 1971, 72, and 73. He was then selected by the Boston Red Sox in the second round of the 1973 draft. He only spent two seasons in the minor leagues before joining the Boston Red Sox late in the 1974 season and full-time in 1975. That season, he became the first player in Major League history to win both the Rookie of the Year Award and the MVP Award in the same season. In seven seasons with the Red Sox, Fred hit 308 with 124 home runs and 521 RBIs. In another one of the dumbest trades in Red Sox history, he was traded to the California Angels in January of 1981. In 82, he helped the Angels win the American League West Division title. Despite falling to the Milwaukee Brewers in the ALCS, Fred was named the ALCS MVP, becoming the first player on the losing team to win that award. In 81, despite having played only seven of his 17-year baseball career, Lawrence Ritter and Dominic Hoddick included Fred in their book, The 100 Greatest Baseball Players of All Time. In 1983, Fred hit the first Grand Slam in All-Star Game history. He would go on to play for the Orioles, Tigers, and Padres. Fred retired with a career batting average of 280, a 360 on-base percentage, 306 home runs, 1,111 RBIs, and 1,960 hits. He was a nine-time All-Star, won four gold gloves. In 1996, he was inducted into the USC Hall of Fame. In 2002, he was inducted into the Red Sox Hall of Fame. 2007, he was inducted into the National College Baseball Hall of Fame. In 2011, he was inducted into the Ted Williams Museum and Hitters Hall of Fame. In July of 2017, he was inducted into the Omaha College Baseball Hall of Fame. And I'm very honored to have him with me here today on Next on the Tee. Hey, Fred, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, Chris, it's always great to talk uh, baseball golf. (laughs) How about that? Let's do a little bit of both. (laughs) Yeah. Fred, I I read that even though you grew up outside of L.A., you were a Giants fan as a kid, which couldn't have been popular with your friends. What made you pick the Giants over the Dodgers? Yeah, that's uh, interesting. You know, I I grew up in a town uh, called El Monte. We're just uh, 10 miles south of L.A. And the Dodgers back then were all about pitching. You know, they had Drysdale, Kofax, Padres, and they just score a lot of runs, and they won a lot of one nothing games, that kind of thing. But the Giants had Willie Mays, Orlando Cepeda, Willie McCovey. They could score some runs. And I was a center fielder, center fielder slash pitcher. So I was a big Willie Mays fan. So I, I just really uh, became attached to that club, probably because of the hitting. Uh, I was a Sandy Kofax guy on the mound, but I was a Willie Mays guy when I played center. And Fred, I'm from Pittsburgh. I also read that along with Mays, you were a Roberto Clemente fan. Talk about being a fan of Clemente. Yeah, sure was. Yeah, I got a little bit when they played the Dodgers, but uh, you mentioned that I was born in Chicago, and I spent some summers back there visiting relatives and things. We'd go see the Cubs play, and I saw Clemente play a number of times there. And I said, man, this guy can just do everything. You know, not a huge guy, but a cannon for an arm and right fielder is so athletic, and he can hit hit the ball all over the place, and ran, and he looked like he was just having a great time. He and Mays both looked like they just had fun playing baseball. 
So those are the two guys I tried to emulate as I grew up. And Fred, like I mentioned in your intro, you were a four-sports guy. You um, and actually attended USC initially on a football scholarship. How close was football to uh, beating out baseball for your career? Well, I was. Uh, <clears throat> I always considered myself a football player, and you know, I played baseball too, and I was obviously pretty good at it. But football, was, God, it was so much fun. Even basketball, because a lot of people came. You know, it's like Friday night life. Everybody in the town would come to you play uh, on Friday, whereas baseball, you might have a couple of scouts, maybe a girlfriend, a dad, but there was nobody there. Um, and football <clears throat> was a driving force for me to get to a major university. Um, those are the guys that were giving scholarships. You know, baseball, they don't pay the freight. So kind of used football to get me to the bigger schools. Um, I mean, when it, USC came knocking, I pretty much shut everybody out. But uh, I love Stanford. Uh, I, I love the football coach. Wasn't enamored with the baseball guy. And UCLA, same kind of thing. Um, so there was, uh, you know, there was some weird factors going on. But uh, football was a driving factor, and I loved playing football. I loved, loved the competition. I played both, both, both ways. I was a wide receiver and a defensive back. And I read back punks and a kick. So it was an exciting thing. Uh, it was in my blood. But uh, after my first season at USC uh, and looking at my size, I said, you know what? I think baseball is going to be the way I need to go. And Fred, like you mentioned, not only did you play center field in high school, but you also pitched and you had an ERA right there at about one. Did SC ever consider making you or did you ever think about becoming a full-time pitcher? You know, I, I really never had too much instruction as a pitcher, um, and I just kind of would use my natural ability. I, I suppose if somebody would said, okay, you do this, do that, blah, 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 get some um, really helpful tips about it, I might have uh, taken pitching to the next level. Uh, a lot of clubs uh, were going to draft me as a pitcher out of high school. I did pitch at USC my freshman year. I pitched a little bit, and even my sophomore season uh, through a couple times. But, um, you know, coach said, you know what? You're our center fielder. Yeah, you could pitch and that could always be a fallback position for you in case you forgot how to hit. But, um, <laughs> and then I'm left handed. So that always helped. But uh, if I would have had some more instruction, yeah, I, I could have pitched. Speaking of guys who also could have pitched when you got to SD, Dave Kingman was a pitcher. What was it like digging in and trying to hit against a guy? He was a monster, six foot six, threw hard. What was it like digging in against Kingman? Interestingly enough, uh, they were going to Omaha, Kingman, uh, probably his junior season. And I was on this uh, all-star team from the, uh, high school. And so they had uh, like a tune-up game um, before they're going to Omaha. And so I'm just high school kid, and I'm facing Dave Kingman. And he had this uncanny uh, delivery where he ducked his head, kind of like Nolan Ryan and wouldn't really see the hitter until at the last second. I go, man. <laughs> and he threw so hard, I never seen anything like it. And uh, he walked me, and, and Coach Dato came up to me after the game and said, Tiger, Tiger, I really like the way you hung in against Dave. And I'm thinking, hung in? <laughs> I wasn't even going to swing. The guy was wild as a coot. Um, but it was interesting to see somebody throw that hard. Anyway, he pitched for the Giants for a bit, too. So there's another guy that could probably have gone either way. You were on a pretty talented team, obviously, there at SC, having won three College World Series in a row, and they would go on to win it again in 74. But some of your teammates were Royce Molly, Steve Kemp, Steve Busby, guys that went on to have 
really good major league careers as well. What was it like getting to be teammates with them? We always had good players. There's no question about it. But there were other schools that had uh, a lot of talent uh, as well. Stanford, Arizona State was, geez, they're like perennially number one in the country until they got to Omaha. Um, so the difference uh, between us and everybody else is that we had Coach Dato. Uh, I, I've said this forever. He was the best baseball man that I ever played for. He taught us how to win, and he taught us how to play the game the right way. So we never beat ourselves, and even though we might be outgunned sometimes, you know, we had some talent, no question, but there are other teams as talented as us, but we never beat ourselves in a big game. And that was the difference. You know, the coaching was the difference for sure. We came into each game knowing that we could win, and we did. Speaking of Arizona State, in 72, you guys win your second college baseball World Series fighting back from the loser's bracket and win the championship game one nothing over Arizona State, the team that you guys lost to that put you in that loser's bracket. Talk about bringing home a title and beating them in a one nothing game. Yeah, that was, uh, you know, every pitch. You know, when you have a one nothing game, a lot of fans think it's boring. It's actually just the opposite because every hitter means something. When the runs are scarce like that, uh, you're just pawing and scratching uh, to get somebody on base, get them over, get them in kind of thing. Uh, we were really good at that. They had great pitching at Arizona State. Uh, two or th- Eddie Bain was the strikeout king that year of the United States, and we had to face him a couple times. And they had just quality starters. And we were just clawing and scratching. And finally, we dug out a run. And our pitchers didn't have the names that they did. But uh, we played great defense and we played great team baseball. And we just found ways to win big games. Uh, you know, it's, it's, you look at it, on paper, they were better than we were. Um, but it, and when it came down to crunch time, we always prevail. And speaking about finding ways win a game. The following year, you guys are right back in the College World Series tournament, and you guys win one of the greatest comeback games in any sport, playing against Minnesota. You guys go to the bottom of the ninth. You're being one hit. You're trailing 7 nothing, and somehow you guys get eight runs in the bottom to win. What do you remember about that game? Well, Dave Woodfield was pitching for them. Um, you know, another guy, 6'6 six, six or 6'7, six, and he threw hard, but you know what he had? He had it. Good changeup, and that really threw us off. Uh, I think he only allowed a couple hits through coming through to the ninth inning, but we scratched out a couple base hits uh, in the ninth, and uh, we got a couple runs off him. And then their their manager took him out, put him in left field, and I can't remember who they brought in, but it was base it, base it, base it, base it. And if they wanted to bring Dave back in, nope, <laughs> took me out, I'm not coming back in. <laughs> so yeah, we we uh, I remember Marvin Cobb. Pinch ran. He played football for us. He was a DB. And uh, Creighton Tevlin got it based it up the middle and Marvin pooped. And that was the winning run. And it was pandemonium uh, on our side of the field because we were taking a lot of abuse from those guys during most of that game. And when we won 8-7, to seven, oh, man, that was – I'd never been a, a part of a game like that, especially against a pitcher like Dave. So uh, it, to this day, when Dave and I see each other, it doesn't matter what the event, where we are, he kind of looks at me and because he's, he's thinking, don't bring it up, don't bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> so I always have something uh, in my back pocket just in case he wants to say something about something else. Hey, Dave, 
<laughs> and he goes, oh. <laughs> That's great. Fred, the Dodgers had an earlier draft pick than the Red Sox in 73. As a Giants fan growing up, were you worried you might end up a Dodger? Well, actually, uh, everybody thought I was going to be a Dodger. My coach, Rodato, was best friends with Tommy Lasorda, Al Campanis, who was the GM, and Waldo Romano, who owned the club. They were all pals. So it was like a foregone conclusion that I would become a Dodger. And when they didn't draft me uh, in the first round, I was, like, I was a real head scratcher for all of it. And, and then um, the Red Sox beat them to the punch in the second round. I think they thought they could sneak uh, the first round by and get somebody else. I can't remember who they drafted, but it didn't work out. And then, uh, the you know, the Red Sox drafted me, and I did okay with them. Yeah, you did. And you had a pretty meteoric rise up through the minor leagues, only a couple of seasons there. When you get to Boston with the Red Sox in, in September uh, of the of 74, were you ready for everything that the major leagues were going to present to you? Yes. I mean, I thought I was ready when they signed me. To be honest with you, I was 21 years old. I'd played international baseball for three summers after winning three consecutive championships at USC. You know, I could set a representative of the U.S. I, I was on the big stage um, a lot. And I thought I was ready as soon as they drafted me. I'm thinking, ah, man, minor league. So <clears throat> I was 21 when they drafted me. I was 22 when I got to the big league. And I was ready. Uh, I just needed a chance to play. Yeah, you, you get accustomed to a lot of different things. There's no question. Um, but the ball, they, I don't care who's pitching. They still have to throw it over the plate. And that's the way I, I thought about things. Uh, you know, it could be Juan Marsh. It doesn't matter. still has to cross the plate. If it crosses the plate, I have a chance. So that's my, that was my attitude. And I was always pretty good defensively. I didn't have to worry about that. And once I got my feet wet, um, I, I, no, I, I took to it pretty quickly. Carlton Fisk always likes to say that the Red Sox won the 75 World Series three games to four. Feel the same way? Yeah, it was, uh, looking back on it, uh, after my career was over, uh, it was quite a, an exciting World Series. It really kind of put baseball back on the map because it kind of were lagging in attendance, in, in tent, tendance back then. So it was, uh, of course, game six was legendary, right? And then uh, game seven went down to the last inning too. We only, we lost that game four to three. Um, and to a man, I think we all thought we were going to be back there and didn't happen for us with the Sox. But, uh, yeah, that was just such a great series. So many great players on the field and so many exciting things happened. Uh, it's just a great, uh, experience to be a part of that. Sure. Were you disappointed when the Red Sox traded you to California? Yeah, I sure was. You know, I, I didn't. I'm a pretty loyal guy, and I thought once you, I signed with somebody, I'd end my career there. And coming up to the ranks, especially with uh, Jimmy Rice, you know, we came up to the ranks together, and a couple other guys, Rick Burleson, Um, You have these attachments uh, with these players, and you feel like you want to play with them forever. And when it didn't work out that way, it was very disappointing. And I, I quickly realized, wow, this is a business, and you know, you just have to suck them up and move on. And that, that's kind of what I did, but uh, there was always a part of me that, you know, missed Fenway Park and the fans back in uh, New England. And uh, so that anytime I have a chance to go back there, which I do uh, quite often, uh, it, it's always fun for me. What was it like the first time you came back to Fenway in an Angels uniform? I had mixed emotions, as did the fans. 
you know, they, you know, they, they don't want to leave or Carl Smith or Rick Carlson. They don't want to see any of that, <clears throat> but they can't root for somebody else. But yeah, I remember when they announced that I was in the lineup and, you know, it, there's boo, but you know, there was a lot of people that uh, were cheering for me as well. And I remember uh, taking, a, I, I was playing right field uh, one day and, against them and, and took a home run away from Bill Buckner down in the corner. I leaped in the stands and hit my head on the, one of the seats and cut my head open oh. when I caught the ball. And, uh, you know, I, I, I got like a standing open from the fans. I mean, they just said, oh, man, why is he playing for them? <laughs> right. So, they, yeah, they still wanted me back there. And part of me wanted to be back there, too. But as a professional, you know, you just had to move on. Fred, this is a golf show. So let's let's talk a little golf. And I'm sure you've had an opportunity to play in some great events over the years on some really great courses. What are some of your favorite events that you've had an opportunity to be a part of? Well, Chris, when I first started playing golf, uh, I never played as a kid. So, uh, I didn't, I, I didn't have clubs until I, I signed professionally at 21 and, and, uh, Wilson, um, which gave me a set of, uh, staff and they were like, everything looked like a two iron back then. And I, so I just taught myself how to play, grabbed it like a bat wow. and just hacked at it. So I remember being invited to a, a couple of pretty big events. In fact, Willie Mays had a, an event. And, um, cause so celebrity player and I, I wouldn't hit a driver off the tee. Remember this is, this is before titanium were for Simmons and hitting Bellata balls, which would like curve a hundred yards. <laughs> and I was afraid I was going to kill somebody. So I did a two iron off the tee and back then I could hit two iron about 250. So wow. I just hit these low rockets like Tiger. And, uh, and there, people are looking at me, that's our A player? Holy, he doesn't even hit a driver. And I was like, oh man, I just don't want to hurt anybody. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I got to play Pebble and that was always fun. And probably the, the most fun I ever had playing golf, uh, for Celebrity Pro-Ams was probably in the early nineties. And we hooked up with the senior tour in Florida. And for about, I don't know, five or six years, it was baseball players and seniors. And it was so much fun playing with the senior golfers because they're having a good old time. I played with Dick Stockton and a whole bunch of guys. <clears throat> and by then, I was a decent player. So uh, I kind of hold my own. And that was just so much fun talking golf with those guys. And they want to talk baseball. <laughs> so it was, uh, it, was, it was a really neat experience. But uh, I had two courses that I like a lot. Obviously, one is Pebble. I played Torrey Pines a lot, played pro ramps down there. But there's a place. In Boston, outside of Boston, called Winchester Country Club, it's over 100 years old, an old Donald Ross design course. And when I go back to see my friends in Boston, sometimes I get to play. In fact, I'm going to go play there in uh, late May. And <clears throat> you got to move the ball left and right. Uh, you never have a flat lie. It's not a long course, but it's tree line. And boy, if you're not golfing your ball, you can have a bad score. Uh, it's really a, a great test of golf, and, and that's one of my favorites for sure. So, Fred, who are some of the fun people that you've gotten to play with? Like when you look back on the experience of playing with them, always makes you laugh. Oh uh, well, Jimmy Rice and I—you know—we grew up. We're both 21 years old when we uh, met in uh, in Double A. We both got golf clubs at the same time, and we were both trying to learn how to play golf. You know, like I said, we grabbed it like a bat, and we took a divot. It was like a foot long. It was just kind of crunched everything. And, you know, we de-lofted every club. He's had a nine iron or one 
70 or something, you know, some obscene thing, but we didn't know where it was going. But we always had a heck of a time playing together and laugh. And I like to have fun when I play golf. So it doesn't really matter who I'm playing with, what if it's a big athlete or a CEO of a company, um, however big the tournament is, I don't care. I want to have fun. And I try to make the, the group that I'm playing with have a good time as well. Yeah, I want to be competitive, but I also want to have fun. And I, I don't, I take it seriously enough, but I, I'm not going to beat myself over up if I make a few bogeys. Um, so that's a, my bottom line when I play. And I play in uh, Frank, Frank Sinatra Celebrity Pro-Am out in the desert. It always uh, was right after the Bob Hope. And I got to play with a lot of Hollywood people, uh, Buddy Hackett. And I'm just, there's a litany of names. Uh, and we just had laughs. It was so much fun because everybody's going to hit a bad shot. And I tell them right off the get-go, you know, we're all going to look crazy at some point in this game uh, during this round. And just laugh at it. Don't worry about it. Um, and if you need to, have a beer. <laughs> <It's enough. laughs> um, but that's, that's the way I am. And that's, I have fun with the game. Um, there was a time when I was pretty decent at it. Uh, now, <laughs> I was like uh, two for wow. quite a few years. And now I'm like six or seven. And what's happened is, as I got older, some of these old injuries that I had as a player, baseball player, are kind of popping up like my shoulder and the knees. And so I'm not quite sure what body's going to show up when I play. And so it may take me a couple holes to figure out, okay, you're going to have swing 106A today. And so I just kind of mold my game to whatever body shows up on that particular day. <laughs> As you mentioned, the, the guys out on the senior tour, and I'm the same way. I really enjoy getting to spend time with guys out on the Champions Tour. We actually have them here in town this week at the Mitsubishi Electric Classic and spent some time out there with those guys uh, yesterday. Talk about some of the senior players that you actually got to uh, to tee it up with. Well, Dave Stockton is, is one of the guys that uh, I got to tee it up with and he was uh gosh was um a real technician so i i learned about a lot about uh chipping uh from him just you know getting around the green and he said well you know i'm, I'm gonna hook this chip or i'm i'm gonna fade this chip i wait a minute the, the, it's only going 30 yards <laughs> you know how do you do that you know who thinks of that kind of stuff well obviously not me so those kinds of insights and things like that um, were invaluable. I mean, I learned from some of these guys. You know what I also learned? They all smoke cigars. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a smoker, but uh, most of the guys that I played with, you know, they're smoking cigars while they're playing. I'm going, wow, that's different. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, uh, it was, it was just a, a fun time. Um, I, I missed some of those events. Uh, you know, they, everything changes, as you know. And uh, as I get older, and I'm not in the limelight, so I don't, uh, as, as those tournaments as I once did, but I, I relish the, the times that I did get to play with the guys. I actually played with some of the gals, too. Um, Nancy Lopez, I got to play with her. And this wow. Was the LP, yeah, this was the LPG event. And uh, I actually played, when Nancy uh, was married to Ray Knight for a while, and Ray Knight was my third baseman, when I was with the Baltimore Orioles, and my wife and Nancy became really close friends. 
and we actually lived in the same um, town in the off season. Played at Mission Hills Country Club, where they play the Dinah Shore, that what's a major uh, for the women. And so I got to play golf with Nancy Lopez a few times, and, um, and that was that was quite a treat because she hit the ball further than I did. Oh, well, yeah. that's just different. <laughs> yeah, I imagine I imagine that could be kind of humbling. Keep yeah, up with Nancy well, Lopez. watching the gals play, and I'm I was very impressed. Uh, they they were technically sound, you know. Uh, they did all things the right way, and Nancy had so much talent. It was just it was just a treat to play with. Is there a course still out there on your bucket list that you want to play? Well, yeah, Augusta. <laughs> you got Lynn Swan, there, right? right? You hitting up Swanee? Well, you, there you, you go. See, former that's teammate? The, that's, yeah, that's right. We're, we're teammates at USC. Lynn Swan, Fred Lynn, you know, the trivia question. Um, gosh, Swanee, if you're listening, hey, hello. Remember, <laughs> you know, we were wide receivers together. Yeah, come on. He ran back, punched the kick. Yeah, remember me? <laughs> uh, yeah that's on the bucket list for all of us outside of augusta national other ones that uh you sure love to get out on uh you know i'm not one of those guys that looked at the top 100 and and say oh i need to play this or i'd love to play that to me uh the course i'm playing that particular day wherever it is is challenging you know if i get uh, to play a course where there's so much natural beauty that i forget what the heck i'm doing um, which happens. I mean, I've played some courses in the Midwest uh, where I'm looking at, wow, that's pretty cool. Oh, there's a deer. Oh, there's a bogey. <laughs> wait, you know, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, there's so, you know, there's pluses and minuses there. If you want to play well, you know, play your normal course, but if you want to enjoy the course and look at all the surroundings and don't care what you shoot, you know, play one of the top 100 and say, well, I play Pinehurst number two, okay? And I had had my game on that day i played i shot like 77 or 78 so i was pretty happy about that but you get wrapped up in you know where that where you are kiwa island played uh out there where the pros play and you just start thinking about man this is just so great to be here and you forget why you're there um uh, but it is you're right it is pretty nice to play some of these places and i if i really thought about <clears throat> all the courses i played i'm pretty lucky to to been on some of the places, um, especially in the south, where you know it, it, the, I play out west here. We don't have the same courses that you, you do in, in the south or, or in the, maybe anywhere else for that matter. So it's always a treat to play different spots. And thank you for gathering for what I'm saying. It doesn't really matter where I am. I, I just enjoy the game. You mentioned earlier that uh, when you started, you were playing Wilson clubs and the Balada ball. What's in uh, Fred Lynn's bag now? Well, being left-handed was kind of a curse. You know, back in the day, I I live in the Carlsbad area, and this is where all the golf companies are. <laughs> Most of the golf manufacturers are just down the street. Some of them are at my club. Right now, I'm using uh, TaylorMade, the 790s, and I've got the uh, – I haven't gone to the stealth driver yet. I'm, I'm always lagging behind. But when I first got here to this area 30 years ago, you couldn't get left-handed clubs. Uh, it was, there was like an 18 month lag time from getting quality clubs from my side of the, the golf ball from regular right handers. So when I have clubs, I don't change very often. Like right handers, you see them changing all the time. I'm using this, I'm using that. And being left handed, you know, I just kind of mold my game to whatever I'm using. And I've been that way my whole life because, like I said, 
it was really difficult when I first started to get any kind of club. So now they've caught up a little bit, but even so, sometimes I look at say uh, I look in a bag for a righty and say, "Hey, those are pretty cool." Nah, I can't get them yet. Left hand. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, all you guys out there, learn how to play right-handed. <laughs> and being a member of the TaylorMade family with the seven nineties and all, and just down the street from the Kingdom, do you ever go out there and? See some of the guys that are out there playing TaylorMade on tour, the DJs, Tigers, Rory, J-Day. You ever get an opportunity to spend time with those guys? Well, I actually went to the Kingdom, and uh, uh, I just missed Tiger. In fact, his bag and what was in it was next to mine. <laughs> wow. <laughs> they were ready for him. Yeah, so he was coming in, and so I just missed him. And the, I was out there. Uh, Marty Fish was out there, uh, the professional tennis player. And the kingdom, they're probably the driving range. I don't know how long it is, three, I don't know, 20 or something. He was hitting them over the fence going, holy moly, against the wind. He's a big guy, probably six, three, six, four, something like that. And I said, whoa, <laughs> this guy can play. And he plays on the celebrity golf tour. Uh, he's a really good player. So I can't even imagine guys, uh, a pro there, they just say, okay, you can't hit driver here. You hit it in the ocean. <laughs> beyond my reach these days <laughs> Fred just a couple more before I let you go and getting back to the Red Sox off to a disappointing start I'm a big Red Sox fan the majority of the lineup isn't hitting the bullpen seems like it's in a mess right now what are your thoughts on this team can they turn it around and get back in the race yeah the only way they're going to do that uh, is with the bat I mean this team has to hit it Looking at the bottom half of the lineup thus far, I mean, boy, you had a lot of guys sitting under 200, and that's that's not going to work. Uh, the division is too tough. The Yankees, Tampa Bay, uh, Toronto, these teams can hit. So, in order to make the playoffs, somehow or another, they're going to have to figure out uh, a way to start hitting. And to my way of thinking. When you see five guys on one side of the diamond, how about trying to hit it on the other side of the diamond? And if you are just a one-way hitter, then you need to make some adjustments. Uh, if guys are getting out a certain way, you have to make an adjustment. Otherwise, they're going to keep doing it. So there has to be an adjustment made, uh, especially with the bottom half of the order. Top half is doing okay. They need some production down there, and if they don't get it, it's going to be a long season. To your point, that is, <clears throat> pardon me, to your point, that is one of the things that uh, I keep scratching my head about is it seems like we've lost fundamental baseball in the hopes of hitting a three-run home run. To your point of, you know, five yeah, guys on the right side right. or left side, you know, I was always taught growing up, hit it, hit it where they ain't. And it, we Correct. seem to not Correct. care about that. Everyone's a pull hitter. Everyone's trying to hit the home run or, or it's a home run strikeout game. What happened? Yeah, the, the analytics are, you know, the macro analytics for a season or saying if you get nine guys trying to do the same thing, you know, maybe we'll hit three home runs in a game and win the game. Uh, okay. But not all guys can do that. And with the type of pitching that you're seeing, it's, it's a lot easier to hit the ball the other way than it is to try to get the bat head out front of some of the power pitch. So yeah, I was taught too, uh, if, there's a big shift on, we'll hit it the other way. And if you don't know how to do that, we'll learn how to put a ball on a tee and let's see you hit the ball to, if you're a left-handed hitter like me, 
put a tee on the, on, on the plate and just see what you need to do to hit the ball the other way, the mechanics of it. Um, and then once you get that in BP, all you do is hit the other way. All you do is hit the other way. And finally, it becomes ingrained in your brain and all your little muscles, your memory says, okay, here comes the pitch. I did that. Boom. It's easier to do. But to go out in a game and say, oh, I'm going to hit one over there, that's not going to work. But you could punt. I've seen time, especially with the Red Sox, when a guy's leading off an inning and there's nobody on the left side of the diamond. You could bunt for a double as a leadoff hitter. Now, as a leadoff hitter, you know, in a close game, and if you're not a home run guy, that's a pretty good deal. Get somebody on base, you know? It's a lot nice. easier to hit when somebody's on base than when nobody's on base. These are little things that have been lost. Launch angle. Launch angle is an upper. You know, you're trying to hit a 95-plus mile-an-hour fastball that's above the waist with a launch angle, meaning uppercut. You're not going to do it. You know, one out of 100, big deal. Percentage to say you're not going to hit that bit. So you have a big hole in your your game. Um, uh, exit velo. Okay, yeah, you want to hit the ball as hard as you can. But again, if you're hitting the ball on screws and there's guys over there to catch it, you're going to have to make an adjustment. And unfortunately, there are lots of guys that are not that. Fred, before I let you go, how can our listeners stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, whether it's on your website or over social media? Well, yeah, I'm on Twitter, and uh, it's just kind of a new thing for me. But uh, um, I try to be positive about it, and uh, I, I try to say good things, certainly about baseball and just life in general. So, yeah, that's probably the best way to reach out uh, to me is through Twitter. Uh, I I do have my own website, but uh, I, I, I I check Twitter out and I, I see what's going on there. Um, I also do a cameo uh, and for people. And that's been great fun for the last year and a half and where you do videos for birthdays or anniversaries or whatever. Uh, that's another way that uh, you can reach out and I can reach out back to you. So, uh, it's fun for me to do the social media thing. It's very new and I'm very careful with it <laughs> because I know what can happen if you're not. But, uh, I, again, you can tell I, I talk about golf too, but I try to be positive and, uh, try to talk about good things. Fred, it's been a huge thrill having you as part of the show and a lot of fun too. I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come and, and be a part of it with me. You're a lot of fun. I hope I get the opportunity and the privilege of having you back on again sometime soon. Well, thanks, Chris. And when I get my game back together again, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a ring and say, hey, I'm back to a three. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to that day. I look forward to hearing how you got there because as a guy who is struggling, I can get, I can get up to 80, Fred. I can't get across that line. I need some mental help or something. To get me into the 70s. So when you when you knock those strokes off, you got to tell me how you did it. Okay, I will do it. It's a promise. I appreciate you. Take care, Fred. All the best to you and your family. I look forward to catching up with you again soon. That is the great Fred Lynn, folks. It doesn't get much better than that. On the baseball diamond and apparently on the golf course, too. Down to a two at one point. A seven, that's even fantastic. From a guy that had to teach himself how to play the game, amazing stuff. And Fred was a tremendous baseball player. We all know from the stats I talked about right during his introduction. But to think that he is out there now, and I love the optimism, out there playing the game of golf, enjoying himself, spreading optimism, 
and uh, the energy that he brought to the show. Fantastic stuff. I love that. Looking forward to having Fred back on the show again very soon. I want to capture more of that and share it with you.